Welcome to the One America podcast. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and happy 4th of July week in America. Welcome to all of our guests from around the world who listen. But today we're going to talk about the United States and our democracy and our government as we celebrate our nation's 245th birthday on Sunday. My guest today is Nick Troiano. Nick has been involved in the political reform movement for over a decade, including running for U.S. Congress in 2014 as an independent candidate in Pennsylvania. Nick is a civic entrepreneur based in Denver, Colorado. He is the executive director of Unite America, where, note, I serve on the board, a national organization that works to bridge the growing partisan divide by enacting political reforms and electing candidates who put people over party. Boy, do we need that. Nick is active in leading efforts and supporting organizations that are aimed at strengthening American democracy and tackling our country's most pressing challenges. Nick, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad we finally made this work. Me too. And happy 4th of July weekend to you and your listeners. Great. So, Nick, um, I want to start off with an assessment, a basic uh, I'm going to give you just a few minutes to talk about the state of our union, the state of America, where we are right now in our politics and our civility or lack thereof. Where Where is the United States right now politically? Well, in one word, we're divided, unfortunately, um, and more divided now than we've been in a while. And not only is our division causing a political dysfunction that stands in the way of addressing the issues that we all care about, it is also eroding trust and faith in our democracy itself. Uh, and we saw that come to a head on January 6th. And so we're in a pretty dangerous place as a country where the overriding political dynamic is not one's love of own party, but really fear and hatred of, of the other. Mm. And both parties operating on a business model of division to keep us divided because that's how they raise money and turn out their voters and ultimately maintain and grow their own power. And mm -hmm. so if we want to break the cycle of division, if we want to protect democracy, if we want to address the big issues that we face, uh, we believe that we have to spend a whole lot more attention, not just focusing on who we're electing, but focusing on how we're electing, because mm -hmm. it's the incentives of our political system that our leaders are responding to. And we need to change it and change it soon. So you said a lot and it's powerful and it's all true, by the way, and I agree with it 100 um, percent. You know, I write opinion pieces. You write them. We both appear on television as analysts and pundits and thinkers. But you said something important. You said if we want to save our democracy or fix it, as it were, we have to focus on how the how we're electing people, which brings me to my first question. Uh, actually, my second question, I guess, but my first big question, which is, uh, Nick, Unite America uh, recently did something called the primary problem, a report. Uh, can you explain to us what the primary problem is? And let's park there for a moment and go back to this, how we're electing people and why you think that's something that we have to fix if we want to uh, make our democracy whole and healed and heal our divisions. Sure. We did a report recently that looked at the 2020 elections. And what we found was that despite record turnout in the general election, nearly two thirds of voters participating, 
it was really only 10% of all eligible voters in our country that effectively elected over 83% of our Congress. And mm. the reason why that is, is because of partisan primaries and the role that they play in our democracy today, where most congressional districts are solidly red or blue, mostly because of the way that we've sorted ourselves geographically. And in those districts, the general election is a foregone conclusion. We know who will win based on who wins the primary. And very few voters participate, and those who do tend to be the most partisan and ideological. And so then we end up in a scenario where only 10% of voters are electing the vast majority of our elected officials. And the problem that that presents, and the reason why we think primary problem in our politics today is that our elected officials are not doing what is in the public interest. In fact, they're only doing what is in the interest of the small amount of people who vote in the primaries mm -hmm. who tend to be on the far extremes of both parties. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we end up with a scenario where Congress only has a 20% approval rating, but only over 90% get reelected. There's a disconnect between who's doing the electing and who our representatives are supposed to be representing. So let's unpack that a little bit because that's profound. And I really appreciate you breaking that down. And I'm honored to be on the board of United America because I think what we do, and I know there are other great organizations as well, but what we do, I think is going to be so important to the next decade of what we do to preserve this republic, preserve our democracy, to uh, strengthen our institutions, voting, etc., and you, you hit on some stuff here that's really disturbing. And I don't think that the general public really knows. So, so let me ask you this. How much of this is the fault of the politicians, if you will, meaning the primary system? And how much of it is the fault of we, the people, the voters, the citizens? I mean, how do we fix this if, for example, here in Virginia, I know when we have, uh, we have a governor's race in 2021 and the turnout um, you know, should be relatively high, but in off-year elections, which we are because you have, you know, federal elections, congressional, you have the presidential election in 2024, 2022 is the Congress. Uh, those tend to be higher turnout elections. And we saw in the primaries, for example, here in Virginia, Nick, as you know, the Republicans didn't even hold a primary. They did a convention where they used ranked choice voting, which was interesting, uh, but mm -hmm. the Democrats held a traditional primary. And again, the guy who had the most money, the most endorsements, the former governor on the Dem side is the guy who won in a very diverse field. And it was predictable. The polls had it right. Everything that they saw had it right to your point. So whose fault is it? Are the voters not participating or did have they just not given up because they don't think they can make an impact? What's what's broken in this primary process? What's most broken is the structure of the system that doesn't allow for the kind of participation that voters can actually express their views and have a say in the outcome. In about 10 states, for example, if you're an unaffiliated voter, if you're an independent, you are legally prohibited from voting in either party's primary. So you're effectively disenfranchised. That's over 10 million independents around the country. In other states that have uh, open primaries or semi-open primaries, if you're a Republican in a very blue district or a Democrat in a very red district, you can vote in your own party's primary, 
but that may not matter because we know who's going to win that general election already is going to be the candidate who's nominated from the other side, effectively disenfranchised. And so when you consider that, you realize that lots of voters don't get to have a say in the outcome. And that's why at United America, as you know, we're supporting nonpartisan reforms to our electoral system so that all voters get to participate. They have more choice, voice and power, uh, and they avoid having the issue that lots of us face, which is a constant choice between the lesser of two evils in the general election. And so we can get into what those solutions look like. But the fact is, it doesn't have to be this way. And again, on July 4th, we should just reflect on the fact that the greatest fear of our founders was what Adams described as the, as the division of our republic into two great factions. And mm -hmm. Washington warned against this. And we're realizing their worst fears today. And it's not because it was intentionally designed to be this way. It's just it's a natural outgrowth of the electoral system. Uh, mm -hmm. But our founders also gave us a way to change it in the Constitution by providing for the states to choose how they structure their elections and their rules. So we can we can do this. We can actually design a better electoral process that serves the voters. So we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's I'd be remiss. And I know I'd hear from my listeners if I didn't get into voting rights for a second. Um, obviously, the Supreme Court just had a, a case come out this week about Arizona and some of the nuances of how they are running their elections there. And the Supreme Court felt that what the Arizona uh, state elections was doing did not violate uh voting rights or civil rights or, or the concerns that has been expressed, as you know, over this past six months or so, we've seen what something like over 200 bills introduced in state legislatures uh, restricting voting rights. Georgia is being sued by the Department of Justice uh, over this. Break down for us a little bit, Nick, if you can, what's going on with the with the voting rights issues? And, and is that an offshoot of what you've talked about, which is it's better for my side if certain people don't vote or if we can lower turnout versus encouraging turnout. That just sounds like an awful way to do democracy to me. It is. And I think it's emblematic of how toxic partisanship has gotten that both parties in different circumstances have come to see that eroding our institutions and trying to write the rules in such a way that maximizes what they think will give them an advantage is more important than protecting democracy itself. And certainly we're seeing this at the state level with many anti-voter laws that are Republicans are putting forward. We're seeing this at the federal level with sweeping legislation that Democrats have crafted on, on a partisan basis, um, in part to combat against the state level, but in part to advance Long-standing democratic ideas and everything from campaign finance to the ways that elections are run. And so our belief is that we can't have one party writing the rules of the game, that if we want to improve the voting system, it needs to be done on a bipartisan basis and that we can do two things simultaneously. We can increase access to more voters and we can do it in a more secure way as well. These aren't mutually exclusive ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some states have done that in Kentucky and in Vermont, there have been bipartisan uh, legislation that increases access and increases security, early voting with signature matching, et cetera. 
Uh, and so we need to turn down the temperature on, on voting issues so that it's about voters and who participates, not about trying to fix the outcome for who wins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, money in politics. Um, you know, is there too much money in politics, Nick, or is that not the issue? Is that a scapegoat or is that really an issue of one of the things? And I want to obviously get into these reforms on how we fix what's broken. But I think money's got to be on the table. Your thoughts on that? I do think there's a problem in our political system where moneyed interests have disproportionate influence in the system than average voters. Uh, However, I think a lot of campaign finance reforms in the past have had unintended consequences. And a lot of ideas being proposed today may have unintended consequences too. For example, those who think we should be matching small donor contributions. Well, that sounds like a good idea on the surface, but what you might end up doing is actually giving a megaphone to the extremes of both parties who tend to mm-hmm. give more small contributions to candidates that are that's done through highly polarizing rhetoric and tactics, uh, especially online. So mm-hmm. it's a certainly a challenge, but I think the solutions are are difficult, they're tricky, that there may be some unintended consequences and that there's a uh, value in trying to figure out which of these problems in the political system to tackle first you know, we, we think getting at some of the structural issues at polarization and partisanship by looking at the primaries and gerrymandering and voting rules um, is a first order priority. Mm-hmm. I agree. Let's OK. So let's get into these reforms as we uh, wind down the last five, 10, 15 minutes here uh, of this podcast. And I, I could talk with you all day because God knows I want to ask you questions about everything that's going on right now, but I'm not going to do that to you on this run. We'll, we'll have you back. Um, let's talk about some of the reforms, Nick, how do we fix this? And I know that's a big question, but going back to the primary problem and let's start with fixing the primary problem. Uh, what else do we have on the table? If you could give us a few things that we're working on it, Unite America, but uh, also that you think writ large, you know, has to happen across the country and in a big wave of national reform, if you will. Sure. Well, I think if partisan primaries are the problem, the solution is nonpartisan primaries. And what I mean by that is instead of both parties with taxpayer dollars running their separate elections that few people can actually participate in, uh, we replace them with a single integrated open primary in which all voters can participate and all candidates can run. And a few states already have nonpartisan primaries uh, in place today, California, Washington, Nebraska, Louisiana, essentially. Uh, And then Alaska became the latest state last year. And they built on the models that preexisted and did one step further, which is instead of only two candidates going to the general election from the nonpartisan primary, four will go to the general election. And in the general election, a majority winner will be decided through an instant runoff because voters will be able to rank their candidates according to preference. Hmm. And what this essentially does uh, is not only allow more competition in the general election and make the general election the one of consequence rather than the primary, but it effectively prevents our elected leaders from being primaried by a small group of voters who are, you know, in the fringe of their own party. And so it changes the incentives of our leaders 
to be able to run from day one to represent and then govern in the best interest of all of their constituents. And in the general election, since you have more than just one D and one R, the candidates will have to campaign on their ideas and not just their partisan identity. So Alaska will become the first state in 2022 to implement uh, this top four primary and, uh, and ranked choice voting general election, uh, which is called final four voting. And uh, I'll point listeners who are interested in learning more uh, to the book of Catherine Gale, the, uh, the politics industry, uh, and to the Institute for Political mm -hmm. Innovation, uh, who's really helped champion this idea of final four voting. So this can happen at a state level through ballot initiatives or legislative campaigns. And if we can to a half dozen or more states in the next couple election cycles, we will liberate dozens of U.S. senators and members of Congress to be able to govern in the public interest, not yeah, just Lisa in the Murkowski, interest. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but Lisa Murkowski, of course, comes to mind from Alaska. She has uh, been able to not fear being outflanked on her right, as you said, because of the primary system now in Alaska. Uh, the, the question that, or non-primary system, I guess, is the better way to put it, right? Uh, yeah, nonpartisan so, primary. Nick, let me ask you this, because I, I don't want to miss this, New York City. <laughs> okay. So explain to us what's going on in New York City right now. Why that's, is that different from Alaska? Uh, how's that different? Yes. Yeah, so what New York City in 2019, 70% uh, of voters approved a ballot measure to use ranked choice voting just in the primaries. And they have closed primaries in New York. So if you're an independent, oh, you can't participate in either. So it's only part of the reform that I described in Alaska, uh, but it's better than the status quo uh, because under the old system, if no one got a majority of the vote, it would force a runoff election. And so voters would have to go back to the polls, which costs the city $20 million to run the election and turnout really depresses in the runoff election. So mm -hmm. by using ranked choice voting, in the primary, uh, it guarantees a majority winner. It eliminates the runoff. It saves money. And it ensures the person who wins has broadest support from the electorate in the case of either uh, political party and their nominating process. So New York just held uh, their mayoral and city council um, primaries. And what we found in our exit polling was that voters overwhelmingly found it easy to use and liked the experience. Mm. Now, there's been a snafu in the way that the Board of Elections in New York has released early vote right. totals. They right. accidentally released test results, which has sort of caused some confusion in the city. So it's really important that with a good idea like ranked choice voting comes good implementation. And that's certainly something that uh, New York has, an, has a way to grow on. Let's talk about Virginia for a moment, my home state, and gerrymandering and what happened here. Why don't you talk about the reform that Unite America helped to pass in Virginia? Sure. And gerrymandering is part of the primary problem because when districts are drawn by politicians to protect their own power, uh, it eliminates competition in the general election. So that's why we support independent redistricting with district lines drawn by citizens commissions or independent commissions to take the power away from self-interested legislators. And in Virginia, there's been a decade long campaign led by One Virginia 2021 to do just that. 
And the proposal for the independent commission was passed in two consecutive legislative sessions. It was referred to the ballot and over 60% of voters adopted it. So for the first time this year, that independent commission will be drawing uh, the district boundaries. And Unite Virginia, which is a program of Unite America, played a uh, helpful role in supporting leaders in the legislature who voted for it and ultimately supported the ballot campaign as well. And what we found was, what was interesting is that in a previous legislative session, Republicans overwhelmingly supported the idea when, uh, and then when Democrats gained power, Democrats actually then began opposing that idea. Mm. And so the takeaway was really the opposition to some of these reform ideas isn't either party, it's usually just the party in power, uh, because mm. what these reforms do is empower the people, not the political establishment. But the reform ideas are popular, and in Virginia we saw that because it was ultimately passed. Right. So we've got about seven minutes, six, seven minutes left. What other reforms do you want to spotlight uh, for our listeners, Nick, that you think will really help to try to fix, begin to fix some of the division and hyperpartisanship that we are experiencing right now? Well, I think the most powerful is the one I described in Alaska, replacing party primaries with nonpartisan ones, using ranked choice voting in the general election. Uh, we talked about replacing uh, gerrymandering by implementing these independent redistrictings. The fourth reform that United America supports is what we call vote at home, where citizens who are registered to vote are automatically mailed a ballot ahead of election day so they can fill it out and mail it back. They can uh, drop it off at a secure drop box or they can still opt to vote in person. So it's really a system that's meant to be designed uh, for maximum flexibility for the voter and to do so in a secure way. And Colorado enacted the system in 2014. Mm. Uh, what was shown to do was cut costs because you have fewer you know, polling locations open because more people are voting by mail. It increased turnout uh, close to 10 percentage points uh, wow. in the primaries. And that wasn't just within one party, that was seen across the board evenly. Um, and it was done in the more secure way because there's a paper trail and signature matching is done to verify voters identities. So despite the idea of mail balloting getting very polarized in last year's election, and despite the facts that um, show that it doesn't have a partisan impact, um, this is a reform that is very pro-voter and we support it because we need to boost turnout uh, in our elections and, and make it more accessible for everyone to participate regardless of their party affiliation. So, Nick, is it fair to say that if I were to take everything that we've discussed here and kind of put it on a on a chart and, and look at what it all means to extrapolate, it seems to me the key is to make voting more simple, to make it more accessible, and to make it where citizens don't have to, like, for example, what you were explaining in New York or in other places where, my goodness, you know, we have two partisan primaries, Democrat, Republican, then you've got maybe if nobody wins in the one primary, they go to a runoff, then you got to vote again, and then you got to go to a general. People are just too busy for that. So is it fair to say that it's really about making it more simple and making it more accessible? And that's one of the key things to getting some of these reforms passed and getting, you know, people more engaged? Is, is it that simple or am I oversimplifying it? 
I think it's that simple. We need more participation in our elections by making it more accessible. We need more competition in our elections mm-hmm. to give voters actual mm-hmm. choice. And if mm-hmm. we do those two things, we will get more accountability at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And having leaders who are elected to represent all of their constituents, not just the base of their party. And that is why you know, America is focused on these electoral reforms, not just because we care about reform, but we care about the big problems facing the country and wanting yeah. a government that is more functional and representative. And so if we get an electoral system that more people participate in, there's more competition, we will get better results out the other end of it in terms of addressing the issues that we all care about from immigration to education to health and so on. Nick, any thoughts on whether or not the Electoral College is the problem here in in our presidential elections and pop versus popular vote or no? We don't stake a position on the Electoral College. Uh, and I would say it's one of the reforms that have also gotten one of the other reform ideas out there that have gotten a bit polarized between the parties, but there are interesting organizations like Equal Citizens and others exploring ways to address some of the obvious flaws in the Electoral College that maybe both parties can mm-hmm. uh, agree on, but it's not something that we get involved in directly. Well, listen, folks, if you've listened to this, and I know you will, you got a lot of good information. You know, again, you can talk to someone like Nick forever because he's smart. He has done the work. He does the research, his fingers on the pulse of what's going on. And Nick, I'm just going to give you the last word to do two things. One, tell folks where they can follow you on social media and where they can learn more about Unite America, which is a great organization. And then, you know, maybe your closing thoughts on um, how we unite America, given where we are beyond just the reforms we talked about. But anything that's on your heart, the floor is yours. Tell us how to find you, follow you and your thoughts on this 4th of July and and maybe uniting America. Well, first, I want to thank you, Sophia, for your leadership. And when I first came across your book, E Pluribus One, I knew we had a lot in common. Um, And appreciate your advocacy out in the world. If folks want to get involved, they can go to uniteamerica.org. They can follow me at, at Nick Traiano on Twitter. And on this 4th of July, I would say that let's remember we've been given a gift passed down from generations of an ability of self-government, but that this gift isn't self-executing. It requires Mm -hmm. our involvement in our democracy. And it's not enough just to vote in a system that's as broken as ours. We have to get involved in fixing the underlying structures if we want to improve the incentives that can drive better outcomes. So campaigns happening across the country at a local, state, national level to get involved in, to be part of this movement, uh, to reform our democracy. Our country has a very proud history of doing so. A hundred years ago, for example, we changed the way we elected a Senate. We won women's suffrage. We uh, implemented direct primaries instead of party bosses choosing our leaders. So our democracy has been evolving since our founding, and now is the time to take the next steps on that evolution so that we can not only keep alive what is great in our system of self-government today, but but to make sure it continues to serve the needs uh, of our country that's ever growing today. 
I tell you what, I couldn't have said it better myself. Nick, thank you for joining us. I want you to get some rest because I know you've been working hard on behalf of United America and our whole team and on the board. I know I speak for everybody when I say we're proud of all of you and the work that you do and, and the changes that we're making. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much, us, Sophia. And I appreciate you. Have a good holiday now. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.